Welcome to this Uvula Audio presentation of The Lone Ranger and the Mystery Ranch by Fran Stryker. Volume 3, Chapter 8 The Hoodoo Ranch It was dusk when the Lone Ranger, Tonto, and the two girls came within sight of the Whitcomb Ranch. Throughout the entire ride, the masked man had said little. His replies to many questions of the girls were short, and after several attempts to engage him in conversation, both Marge and Sally gave up in despair. His mind was filled with bitterness. The shooting he heard when the long ride was just about to begin could have but one meaning. The Night Legion killers had met the stage, but the odds would be too great, especially with the outlaws firing from ambush. Though there could have been no other way, the Lone Ranger felt responsible for sending four men to their deaths. It sickened him, and yet it was a case of the men or the girls. True, the boss had given orders that the Whitcomb girls were to go unharmed, but with men of the type of those seen in the clearing and girls like Marge and Sally, there was no assurance that the orders of the boss would have been obeyed in their entirety. The boss was primarily interested in securing the girls' part of the map, his interest in the welfare of the girls was secondary. Who was this mysterious boss? Not even his own men seemed to know him, yet he had some hold on them that made them follow out his every order, carry out every plan for robbery and murder. Where did the boss meet the men to give them orders? How many members had this powerful night legion? Surely there were others than those seen last night in the woods. There have been times when large herds of cattle were stolen, and at least three score of the hooded men had ridden at one time. Where were their headquarters? Where had Scar and Anson come from? Though the Lone Ranger knew the West better than most men, he had never heard of either of the two before last night. But there was no use in guessing. As soon as the girls were safe in the care of Grant Whitcomb, he and Tonto would return to the clearing in the woods. There might be clues there that would furnish at least a starting point in the long, drawn-out hunt for the mysterious boss of the Night Legion. After all, more had been learned in the past 24 hours than the previous months had taught him. The Lone Ranger snapped from his reverie when Sally jabbed him in the side with a tiny fist. I've had about enough of this silence you can cut with a knife, she said. We're almost at the ranch, if that's it ahead of us, and I'd like to know something about who you are. That's not important at all. Why are you so interested in helping us? Are you on Uncle Grant's payroll? No. Did he send you to meet the stage? Does he know you? I don't think he's ever heard of me. Then why? Sally, interrupted Marge, if he doesn't want to talk, don't ask so many questions. After all, he's been very kind to help us as he's done. It doesn't strike me as kind to make one so curious. Sally was riding beside the Lone Ranger, with Marge and Tonto in the rear. There's one thing you might tell us, even if you won't tell us anything else. Yes. Where did these horses come from? They were borrowed. From whom? Your uncle. We're going to have to leave you in a moment, and you'll finish the ride alone. When you get to the ranch, simply turn the horses loose in the corral, and they will have been returned. Your uncle might be somewhat worried about them. He doesn't know we have them. 
I wonder, interrupted Marge, what Uncle Grant will have to say about this cross-country ride. I'll wager he'll be furious to hear that there was a plan to rob us. He'll be mad enough to chew nails. A little look of perplexity brought tiny wrinkles to Sally Wickham's forehead. I wonder, Marge, what Uncle Grant is like. So do I. Have you never seen him? asked the Lone Ranger. Sally answered, Never. Then she went on. There's a reason why I'd like to get you talking. I've heard a few things about Uncle Grant's place. Have you now? Yes, I... Well, we have. When we were changing stages back at Eagle Pass, a station agent asked where we were going, and I told him. And what do you think he said? Tonto leaned forward eagerly in his saddle, though the masked man would possibly know nothing about the strange things that were said to have transpired at the Wickham Ranch. The Indian had heard innumerable stories. He told us that it was a hoodoo ranch, went on Sally. The Lone Ranger looked curiously at the girl. His mouth moved slightly as if in amusement. He was familiar with the methods of kidding employed by practical jokers in the Western communities and attributed the story told the girl to be one of those. Tato, on the other hand, became more grim than ever. What do you suppose that the man meant by telling us that sort of thing? I'm sure, replied the Lone Ranger, if there's anything about your uncle's ranch that you should know, he will tell you himself. You'll be there in a few minutes more. He reined in and signaled the others to bring their horses to a halt. Here is where we leave you, he said. I don't see why. Come on along with us and meet our uncle, invited Sally Whitcomb. The masked man shook his head. I'm afraid he might wonder why I don't remove my mask. You'll have no trouble now. But Sally was not so easily convinced that the time for parting had arrived. She wanted desperately to break through the shell of reserve and find out more about this mysterious rider who had so little to say and who always kept his face concealed. At first she coaxed and pleaded, and then she demanded. Even the reserved Marge extended a most cordial invitation to go on to the ranch with them and stay for supper. But the Lone Ranger and Tonto were anxious to be away. They wanted to get back to the woods to look around the clearing where the outlaws met last night. Tonto had already transferred the girls' bags to their own horses. Well, anyway, finished Sally in desperation, when you're around this way, stop in. We'll always be glad to see you. She stuck out her hand and gripped that of the Lone Ranger in a firm, boyish hand clasp. We truly will, added Marge, and thanks for all you've done. You're more than welcome. Then the masked man and the Indian swung their horses and rode off without a backward glance. For a long moment the two girls watched the retreating stallions. There was a strangely soft glowing light in the dark eyes of Marge Whitcomb. Sally sighed deeply. Then the girls too rode on. Ahead, the buildings of the Whitcomb Ranch marked the end of their long journey from the east. The place looked quite commonplace. Surely there was nothing in the general appearance to indicate the dreadful things that lay in wait there for the newcomers. If the girls had only known, they would have understood why their uncle's place was called a hoodoo ranch. The horses paused of their own volition when they reached the corral. Marge and Sally swung stiff-legged to the ground. 
They were more cramped and lame than they expected to be from the long ride on the western horses, but they were glad to be there. At last, breathed Sally, we're someplace we can call home, where there won't be worries about money. She yawned and stretched her arms, and then tried to take a couple of steps. Oh, gosh, she groaned, making a wry face. I'll never be able to walk tomorrow. My legs are tied in knots. Marge, more sensitive than Sally, possibly more receptive to impressions, felt a vague uneasiness. There was something about this place that made her apprehensive. She looked about on all sides. There was the corral with a good stock of horses, just as one might expect to see on any well-kept ranch. The fences and buildings, as far as she could see, were in good repair. In the distance, a few cows grazed contentedly. Everything was as it should be, and yet it felt queer. A fine reception, complained Sally suddenly. The least he might do is to have somebody help us with our luggage. She was fumbling with the knots of the tie strings, loosening the bags so recently put there by Tonto. That's it, burst out Marge. What? Oh, I... The older girl hesitated. I was wondering what there was about this place that seemed so strange. And that's it. There's no one around. That is so. Sally looked toward the bunkhouse, which was dark inside. There should be a lot of cowboys around here someplace. Maybe they're out on the range, or... She recalled some of the terms that she'd heard. Maybe they're out line-riding. Marge hoped for some simple explanation that would solve the riddle, but she felt inwardly that there was something more than that. Sally shrugged her shoulders, tossing off worry easily. Just means we've got to lug our own bags in, that's all. She took one in each hand. You take the others, Marge and she started toward the rambling, comfortable-appearing house. Marge picked up the other bags and followed, envying her sister's nonchalant ease in almost any situation. There were times when Sally reminded her of an impetuous young colt, carefree, unrestrained, agile, and brimming over with a healthy joy of living. The bags plunked to the porch floor, and Sally rapped on the door. A moment's wait brought no response. She tried again, harder this time than before. More waiting, and still no sign from inside the house. Well, that's funny, she muttered. Uncle Grant knew we'd be here sometime today. She hammered on the door with both fists, and under the force of the blows, the door creaked inward slowly. Oh, it's unlatched, she observed. Pushing it wide, Sally took up the bags and boldly walked inside. Marge followed closely with her uneasiness increasing many-fold. Outside it was dusk, but no lamps had been lit in the room. The girls stood still for a moment, just inside the door, trying to accustom their eyes to the darkness. The first impression of the room was its vast size. Compared to the small parlors the girls knew in the east, the living room of the ranch house was a vast expanse of space. As I took in more of the details, the girls saw rugs of Indian weaving on the floor and others hanging decoratively on the wall. Directly opposite the door, there was an entrance to a hallway that seemed to run straight back to the other part of the house. 
A massive table stood against the wall on each side of the arched door leading to the corridor, and over one table a gun rack hung suspended from the wall, while a big elk's head overhung the other. Windows facing toward the south filled the wall on the girl's right side, and a huge fireplace was at the opposite end of the room. The fireplace intrigued Marge and Sally. It might have been a cheerful sight with a warm fire of pine logs blazing and crackling, but in the dim light the gray stones looked cold and forbidding to the touch. Then Marge gasped with a quick intake of breath. For the first time she saw the figure next to the fireplace. The man sat in a heavy chair with a blanket across his lap. He was a heavy man, almost filling the big chair. But the impressive thing, the thing that gave him an almost repulsive appearance was his head. It was white and perfectly round, without a trace of hair. Small pig-like eyes of pale blue color watched every movement of the girls. His small, short nose and pinched mouth were far too small for the rest of him. Small ears were flat against his head. He seemed to be waiting for the girls to speak. Chapter 9 The Iron Ring The bald-headed man seemed quite willing to wait indefinitely for one of the girls to break the long silence. Sally was the first to recover her composure after the first shock of surprise at seeing the one who obviously was her uncle sitting there without a word of any sort in the way of greeting or welcome. I... I, I suppose, she said hesitantly, that you're our uncle, Grant Wickham? The silent man nodded without speaking. We, uh, we're, we're the daughters of your brother. You, you wrote to us, and you told us it would be okay to come here to live with you? Again, Grant Wickham nodded. Well, we're here. Sally laughed nervously to cover her confusion. We're here, and I suppose you wonder who is who. Well, that, that is Marge, and I'm Sally. Marge finally broke into the one-sided conversation. If you're Uncle Grant, you know why we came here. I, I hope it isn't going to be too much of an inconvenience to have us here. We have hopes of finding Father's claim. In that case, we'll be able to support ourselves. She was bewildered by his attitude. For the first time, Grant Wickham spoke. Did you? He said in a voice that was emotionless and slightly high-pitched and not cordial. Bring the map with you. At any other time, Marsh thought it might be odd that he would speak first of all about the map, with no inquiry concerning the long trip west. But now she was too shaken by the many exciting events that had crowded themselves into one day of a heretofore uneventful life to think much of anything. She merely nodded that she had the map. Any trouble on the trip? Yes, Sally picked up the conversation. Someone knew we had the map and planned to steal it from us. We were met before we got to showdown by some men who supplied horses and we rode overland to get here. A look of interest crossed Grant Wickham's face, but it was just a fleeting change of expression that passed quickly. His eyes widened slightly, and had there been eyebrows, 
they would have lifted in a questioning invitation to supply more detail. One of the men was an Indian, and the other wore a mask. Rot. Sally repeated his comment questioningly. Rot? What do you mean by rot? asked Marge. How could anyone know you had the map? Do you expect me to believe that sort of story just because you're late getting here? Sally's face burned red with anger at the accusation. We were told about the map by the masked man, and he knew about it because he was with Joe Frisbee when he died. Wickham squinted slightly. With Frisbee when he died? So he's dead, huh? Yes, and what's more, he was murdered by the men who stole his part of the map. I guess we told you all about him when we wrote. Yes, you mentioned Frisbee. Sally still fumed with rage at the man's manner. What's more, the only one who knew about that map was you. It's through your telling of it that these outlaws killed Joe Frisbee. Sally, admonished Marge, you mustn't speak like that. Well, he didn't accuse us of fibbing to him. How do you know, Wickham asked slowly, that the masked man you tell about ain't the one who murdered the old man? This thought hadn't occurred to either of the sisters. There was just something about the Lone Ranger that made them feel that he wasn't a man who would commit murder. Yet all things considered, their uncle's idea might be right. Certainly the man had kept his face concealed. And he had acted rather strangely. Perhaps, continued Whitcomb, he wanted to make sure you had the map with you. It's my bet we haven't heard the last of him. Like as not, he'll come snooping and prowling around my house, making no end of trouble trying to get the rest of the map from you. But that doesn't make any sense. He had lots of chances that that's what he wanted, countered Marge. He could have taken it from us, demanded it at any time he wanted, and we'd have had to have given it up. We haven't heard the last of him, insisted the bald-headed man, but we'll handle him if he comes this way. He clapped his hands. Natasha! Natasha, that's the old Indian housekeeper. She will show you where you're going to sleep. Sally felt that she'd never learned to like this man who faced her, but she hoped he'd turn out differently than the first impression indicated. He spoke again. Natacha! Wickham looked beyond the girls. They turned and saw the Indian standing in the hallway. Show my nieces to their room. To the girls, he said. We'll have a talk later on. His tone seemed a dismissal for the night. He made no apologies for his manner of receiving them. No explanation for remaining in his chair without rising, no offer of food, or an invitation to refresh themselves, and then return to the big living room for conversation. In one hand that resembled more than anything else the claws and talons of a bird of prey, Natacha held an oil lamp. With the other hand she beckoned for the girls to follow her. By the light of the lamp they saw her face. It was a mass of seams and wrinkles. Neither of the girls had ever seen a face to equal it. The skins seemed to hang in loose folds overlapping one another. Straight black hair done in two braids bound with 
dirty red ribbon came from the back of her head to fall over each shoulder, almost to her hips. Her lean, narrow shoulders slanted to wide hips from which fell voluminous folds of a very colored skirt that must have had a lifetime's accumulation of filth on it. She slumped rather than walked, her moccasined feet making a sort of sliding sound on the pine flooring. Silently, the two girls followed Natacha, carrying their luggage. I'm starving, muttered Sally. I wonder if there isn't a chance of getting a bite to eat. Uncle Grant didn't suggest it, Sally. Well, I'm suggesting it. He probably thinks we've eaten. Where would we have eaten, Sally? We've been in the saddle since early afternoon. Perhaps Natacha can help us. If... Sally paused. If she can talk enough English to understand us. Raising her voice a trifle, she addressed the aged woman. Natacha? Natacha paused before a door, turned half towards Sally, and looked at the girl. Do you speak English? Natacha nodded vigorously. Yes. She pushed the door open and went into what proved to be a comfortable-looking bedroom, placing the lamp on a small stand. Natacha stood aside to make way for the girls to enter. Of medium size, the bedroom was meticulously clean. A big double bed in one corner showed clean white sheets folded back beneath huge, downy-looking pillows. In case the night turned chilly, there were blankets folded at the foot. An oval-hooked rug covered almost all the floor beside the bed. Two upholstered chairs flanked the washstand above which hung huge fleecy towels. One wall supported a long shelf, slightly overhead high, with a row of pegs beneath it to hold clothing. Sally opened the top drawer of the heavy dresser and ran her finger across the bottom, and then scrutinized the digit close to the light. Nice and clean, she said approvingly, looking toward Natacha. The old woman grinned toothlessly in response. Encouraged by what probably was meant for a smile, Sally pressed Natacha for something to eat. I be bye, was the croaked response. Natacha left, closing the door behind her. Bye and bye, sighed Sally. That could mean sometime tomorrow. Let's hope not. Marge sat on the edge of the bed and then fell back with a deep sigh. The day had been a cruelly hard one for the girls, not used to the rigors of life in the West. Marge was desperately tired, and her slender body seemed a mass of aches and pains from riding. Sally tossed her coat on the nearest chair and tugged at her shirtwaist. First of all, I'm going to wash up, she decided, and then I'm going to see about the food situation. She poured water from the pitcher into the basin, and in a moment was sputtering with energy, dousing her face with cold water. It freshened her a lot. Marge, watching from the bed, mused at the way Sally, in times like this, seemed so much more capable and self-sufficient. I wish, she murmured, I had some of your energy and spunk. Well, we're here, and we're here to stay, so we may as well make the best of it. What do you think of Uncle? I haven't decided yet, was her matter-of-fact reply. Tell you better when I've seen more of him. She opened one of the bags and from the depths extracted a comb. Standing before the mirror on the back of the door, 
She ran the comb through her tangled hair, chattering about her hunger. If we don't hear about some food when I get finished, I'm going to go out and find the pantry or the larder or whatever they call it and help myself. Let me tell you. Marge drew herself to sitting and then bent to unlace her high boots to change to something more comfortable. A slight crinkling beneath her blouse reminded her of something. The map. Sally, we have to do something with it. We have to hide it. Sally tossed the comb in the general direction of the dresser, missed the mark, and saw the comb clatter to the floor. She retrieved it and put it on the dresser. Get the map. I'll find a place to hide it. She looked around the room, stroking her chin with a forefinger, a habit of hers when she was pondering seriously. I know. Let's put it beneath the rug. Marge was too tired to argue, knowing full well that Sally would cry down any other suggestion. The rug would be as good a place as any, at least for the time being. They could discuss the matter with their uncle later on. And yet, could they? Marge recalled how Uncle Grant asked first of all about the map. Was he a man that could be trusted? She tried to tell herself he was. Surely the brother of her father would be loyal. Yet there was a lot about Grant Whitcomb that somehow didn't ring true. Now, if it were the stranger with the mask... Strange, she thought. He was masked. He didn't tell us who he was. He didn't do a thing to make us feel he could be trusted. And yet he seems so much more so than our uncle. Where is it? demanded Sally. Marge passed the small bit of paper to her sister, who kicked back one end of the oval rug. Both girls noticed the iron ring sunk into the floor. It was characteristic of them that Marge asked, what is that? At the same moment that Sally dropped to her knees to investigate and find out for herself. Sally lifted on the ring and it swung upward to furnish a hand grip. There was a square section on the floor that probably lifted out to give access to what was underneath. That looks interesting, murmured Sally. She tugged on the ring, but nothing happened. Perhaps Uncle Grant wouldn't want us to poke into his things, Sally. Oh, don't be so darn bashful. But, Sally, this isn't our home. It's going to be the only home we'll have, at least for the moment. We may as well come to know something about it. Sally grunted as she pulled with all her strength into lifting. I can't budge this thing. Come here and lend me a hand, Marge. Marge hesitated. Okay, let's get cleaned up first. There'll be lots of time to see what's down below. There's probably nothing but a cellar anyway. Sally dropped the map on top of the trap door, replaced the rug, and began to open remaining bags to find fresh clothing. There was a rap at the door. Oh, breathed Sally. Perhaps that's old Natacha with a lunch. Girls, Grant Wickham's voice called from outside the door. Marge replied. Yes? You're coming out soon. The girls exchanged quick glances. Sally grinned and whispered. Maybe he's going to be sociable after all. Aloud, she said. We're cleaning up, Uncle. We'll be out in fifteen minutes. Very well. Be as quick as you can. Supper's on the table, and it won't stay hot for long. His footsteps sounded as he moved away. Sally flung her hand above her head and made a silent gesture of glee. 
Yay! We're going to eat! Marge wondered if she hadn't judged her uncle too hurriedly, and determined to try to like Grant Wickham till she had a definite reason to feel otherwise. Sally's hands were flying as she piled clothing on the bed, unpacking the four bags. Hurry up, Marge! The sooner you're dressed, the sooner we eat. And, she added, the sooner we'll get to know more about our uncle. Chapter 10 The Return of the Masked Man Whatever Natasha might lack in youth and beauty, she more than made up in her skill as a cook. Hot biscuits, fried spring chicken with lots of tasty gravy, and an almost endless assortment of vegetables and fruits made Sally Wickton glad she'd been hungry. She continued eating long after her uncle and sister were finished, wondering how so grand a meal could be prepared on such short notice. She reasoned that her uncle, anticipating the arrival of the girls, had given orders for a special dinner with instructions to have everything ready for the girls as soon as they arrived. Brought up in an eastern city where food was bought and prepared in small quantities for economic reasons, she was unused to the wholesale western way of doing things. Even Marge, apprehensive as she was, forgot her vague worries during the course of the meal. Natacha refilled the girls' milk glasses, and Grant Whitcomb poured himself a second cup of coffee and then stoked a big, foul-smelling pipe and leaned back in his chair. From time to time, he'd asked short questions about the trip, but now he seemed ready to go into a more lengthy conversation. Had quite a trip then, did ya? he inquired of Marge. Yes, indeed. We've never ridden so far on horseback. You won't get the chance to do much more riding here for quite a spell. Why is that? The horses we rode seem quite gentle, almost as gentle as the Eastern Riding Academy horses. Have an outlaw trouble around here, that's why. We've heard something about that, interrupted Sally. Something about the Night Legion, isn't it? Grant Wickham frowned and sucked in silence on his pipe. He blew a billowing cloud of smoke toward the ceiling cursed softly beneath his breath and finished with, Night Legion is right. If them thieving and murdering polecats ain't caught up plenty soon, there won't be a ranch on this side of the Mississippi that's making money. We haven't heard a great deal about the Night Legion. Well, there's plenty to tell. They don't stop at nothing. Rustling, hoss-stealing, robbery, torture, murder, and the rest. He went on to give a lurid account of some of the atrocities in the Night Legion, things that made Marge pale and left even Sally momentarily speechless. And that masked man, he was like as not the leader, he finished. I don't believe that, Grant Wickham glared momentarily at Sally, who dared make such a frank, outspoken statement. Sally, unabashed, returned the steady gaze. And said the man slowly. Why don't you believe it? Because I like the way he talked. Huh! snorted the bald-headed man. As if you could tell anything about a man by the way he talked. You'll learn, before here for very long, that the slickest crooks are likewise the slickest talkers, and the boss of this night legion is about the slickest crook there ever was that draw a breath. 
He paused to puff deeply on the pipe and then went on. What's more, you're telling him you had that map he's after. And will likely make no end of trouble for me. He'll come pussyfooting round here, trying to get it, and likely drill some of my men. In an attempt to change the subject before the fiery Sally spoke again, Marge broke in. Is that why you said we couldn't do much riding while we're here? You girls ain't to leave the house until I say so. We can't leave the house? repeated Sally. What are we going to do in the house all the time? You'll have to do something to pass the time. Maybe when the boys are around, you can go as far as the corral. Maybe when there's guards to ride with you, you can take a little canter on the range. But you ain't to go nowhere without my saying so. And that's final. The man reverted to his curt manner again, after thawing out slightly during the meal. Marge glanced at her sister and saw the girl about to express an opinion that might lead to further words. She broke in hurriedly. Uncle Grant? Yeah. Where are all your men? I thought they'd be around the corral someplace. We haven't seen a sign of anybody but you and Natasha. Men are busy, was the short, uninformative response. Sally compressed her small, pert mouth and kept her eyes down on her plate. Marge felt that this was the beginning of a feud between the high-strung girl and Grant Whitcomb. Sally was not a girl to take such unreasonable orders from anybody, least of all a man who had acted with as little cordiality as her uncle. Whitcomb seemed to be struggling with himself. He kept his face buried in a cloud of smoke, and several times began to speak, but each time he stopped himself. When he finally did speak, he was again the mild-mannered individual he'd been before the flare-up that started with the talk of the Night Legion. By the way, Margie, you said something about that map being with you? Marge nodded her head. Where is it now? Maybe I'd better put it in a safe place till the law rounds up the boss of the Night Legion. Marge was about to tell her uncle that the map was concealed beneath the oval-hooked rug, but before she could speak, Sally answered, We haven't found it yet. Haven't found it? No, it's packed in with our clothes somewhere, but we haven't had the chance to unpack our bags. Don't tell me you lost it, barked Wickham. Oh, it's not lost at all. It's somewhere in our things. It it'll turn up sooner or later, as soon as we unpack. You don't seem much concerned about it. There was a ring of suspicion in the man's voice. I'm not. That is, we're not, because we know we put it in one of the bags. We simply haven't gotten unpacking them all, and we don't know which one it's in. I see. The man's face, as well as his response, showed he didn't believe the girl's explanation about the map, though Marsh couldn't understand the reason for the story that Sally told. She said nothing. Then Natacha entered the room again to clear away the remnants of the meal. Grant Wickham called her to his side and spoke softly and rapidly in a language that neither of the girls could understand. There must have been some sort of Indian dialect made up of throaty guttural sounds. Natacha seemed to comprehend him, though, and nodded in response to several questions. Watching the bald-headed man and the aged woman, Marge fancied Natacha showed signs of embarrassment if such a thing were possible. She hung her head as if in shame, and then tried to offer explanation in the same tongue Whitcomb used. The man acted quite angry at times during the strange speech, and when he finished with a pointing gesture, 
Natacha slumped from the room without reply. I told her that she'd put you girls in the wrong room, Whitcomb interpreted. I intended to put you both in the room on the other side of the hall. It's much bigger, and you'll find the beds lots better. But we're satisfied with our room, objected Sally. No trouble at all to change. She'll move your things for you. I want you to have the best we can offer while you're here. Grant Whitcomb's air fell short of being magnanimous because it didn't ring true. In fact, nothing seemed to ring quite true about the man. When he was angry, Marge had the impression he was putting on an act. When he spoke genially, she felt that he used the tone to mask some other inner feeling. She couldn't understand him at all, but decided that until morning she wouldn't try to understand him. She was badly needed to sleep, and the sooner she got to bed, the better. She suggested that it might be bedtime. Natacha will have you moved in just a couple of minutes. You might like separate rooms. If that's the case, then... Oh, no, blurted Sally. We want to stay together. That's what I thought. Would Natacha move their things without finding a map under the rug? If so, would the girls have the chance to get into that first room and retrieve it? Was it possible that Whitcomb suspected that the map had been hidden in the room and wanted to himself use this means of having the room unoccupied so he could search it? Marge was in confusion at the many, many things that crowded her mind. That map had caused no end of trouble. She almost wished it wasn't in existence. Yet the future of the sisters depended so much on finding the gold claim it represented. Each time the map was mentioned, there seemed further proof of its tremendous value. Down the hallway, Natacha was crossing from one room to a room on the opposite side of the hall, heavily loaded with the luggage of the girls. In a moment, she returned to the first room to reappear, crossing the hall with all the unpacked clothing. She disappeared beyond the door of the new quarters of the girls, and then there came a shout of genuine surprise and terror. It was like the scream of a tortured soul, freezing both girls to their chairs and bringing Wickham leaping to his feet, while his right hand scooped a heavy six-gun from a shelf behind him. He whirled, holding the gun ready, pointed down the hallway. What's the matter with you, you old hag? Wickham bellowed like an angry bull. Natacha came running, waving her arms in wild confusion, jabbering in her native tongue. The girls could make out a single word in the middle of her gibberish. Hoodoo. What do you mean? Face, face with mask. From the jumble of mixed English and Indian words that followed, the girls gathered that Natacha had seen a man's face, partly concealed by a mask, peering into the room through the window. Then from somewhere outside, a ringing shout of Hayo Silver was followed by a thundering tattoo of pounding hooves receding. It was a familiar voice to the girls. Somehow it seemed to thrill them with an exultation, a feeling that there was at least one individual upon whom they could count. The masked rider wasn't as far from the ranch as they had supposed. Strangely, too, that they should feel that way. They had reason to believe the masked man was a leader of a band of terrorists, and yet both girls felt that he was nearby. Whitcomb returned to the table, from the window to which he dashed, following the shout of the Lone Ranger. 
He needlessly assured the girls that they should not worry. He'd not let the masked man get at them. But, he finished, remember what I told you. Don't leave this place alone. Marge wondered if that was a warning or a threat. She still wondered when with Sally she took possession of that second bedroom Natasha had showed them and closed the door behind her.